Hello everyone, Alan Mishra here from Vitality Explorer News with another edition of the Vitality Explorer News podcast. Thank you for listening. We're going to start out as we always do with a quote and here it is. This is one from Jack Welsh. Quote, control your own destiny or somebody else will. Control your own destiny or somebody else will. That's from Jack Welsh. So I'd like to start also with a quick announcement. And this is, um, for me, very exciting. I've been working very hard on the second edition of my book, Dare to be Vital, and it will be coming out soon. Um, This includes 40% more material, lots of lessons and stories I learned from uh, leading vitality discussions at Stanford, the University of Cambridge, the University of Michigan, Google, Apple, and many other places. So stay tuned. That book will be out soon, and I will let you know via the podcast and other social media outlets. So this week, we're going to cover, as we typically do, three things. And the first is seven ways to becoming your own best agent. That's number one. Number two is should you take a polar plunge? And number three, dark chocolate unfortunately, may contain heavy metals. So again, you're listening to the Vitality Explorer News sub or Vitality Explorer News podcast. You can find references to all this material on the Vitality Explorer Substack site. And you can also join VitalityExplorers.com to receive a free text message letter about how to enhance your physical, mental, social, and spiritual well-being. Now, before we jump into this week's podcast, I want to review a little bit of what was published actually yesterday, and that was episode six of A Surgeon and a Seal, and this is with my good friend, uh, former Navy SEAL Team 5 Commander, Captain Tom Chaby, and we did a 40-day Dare to be Vital challenge. So I encourage you to listen to that. Uh, You can find that on the Substack site. Again, the links to that will be in the show notes below. But what we were trying to figure out the two of us, is how can we get stuff done? And so we came up with this idea of trying to challenge each other of what we could accomplish over a 40-day period of time. And here's sort of the review of that podcast. You can listen to the entire thing again via a link below. But here's here's the four steps we follow. Number one, carve out time just to think. Spend some time thinking about what are the most important things you want to do with your life. So often we kind of jump into doing our to-do list, but I think it's better to just spend some time thinking about what you want to do. So don't judge any ideas. Just let your mind water. That's water. Wander. That's step one. Number two, write down your list of possible things you could do. Literally write down with a pen and a paper. It encodes in your brain a little bit better than typing it into your computer or into your phone. So then rewrite that list as many times as you need to prioritize only the top five in rank order. Now, cut that list down to three. And then here's a key second component. Write that those three things down on a three by five card or, or a piece of paper that's a similar size. And the reason to keep it small is it forces you to focus, okay? If you write a treatise, a five-page treatise about what you want to do in the next 40 days or so, um, that's not going to be as good as writing it down on a three by five card. So again, just think what's possible. Stay prioritized. Step one, think about it. Step two, write it down. Step three, and this is a crucial step, is identifying a person to whom you will be responsible. This truly helps you execute. So Captain Chaby and I really are uh, very, very good about thinking about what we want to do and actually even writing down what we want to do. 
but we didn't until this point have a specific accountability partner, all right? And it's important to find somebody you trust and you respect. I obviously trust and respect Captain Chaby, and also to offer to help them be that person for them, okay? So step three is find an accountability partner. And step four, the hardest of the four steps, is set a judgment day. So we set a date 40 days in advance or in the future from when we made this commitment. And then we sent each other letters. We literally put a little three by five card in in an envelope, put a stamp on it. I know this is old school. And we mailed it to each other and we did not let the other person open it. We opened it. And again, you can, uh, I haven't published it yet, but I'll put it up on YouTube. You can see us opening our letters and and, and going through it. But that setting that date in the future to that person that you respect and being accountable helps you get stuff done. So being open and honest with that person about what you accomplished and what you failed to do was also meaningful. So I encourage you to listen to the entire episode. The four steps again are carve out time to think, write them down, find an accountability partner, and set a judgment day. So let's jump into this week's podcast. And I'm starting with something that we're going to lean into a lot more in 2023. And that is seven ways to become your own best agent. Seven ways to become your own best agent. Again, check out the Vitality Explorer Substack site for the details. And we're going to go over and try to answer these two questions. Like how do you get to the top of the mountain? And how can you live your best possible life? Again, this is a core focus of Vitality Explorers, Vitality Explorer News, and my mission to enhance global vitality one person at a time. And here's my thought. Personal agency. We're going to define that in a second. Personal agency is crucial if we want to reach the mountaintop and we want to live our best possible life. So I had to look a lot of this up and I am not an absolute expert on this, but I'm, I'm committed to trying to become more of an expert on personal agency. And it refer, refers to two specific components of our life. Number one, the amount of control we feel we have over our circumstances. And number two, how much we believe we can influence outcomes. So interestingly, personal agency and discipline have some very, very tight connections. We'll discuss that more in a minute. But let's get down to action. What are the seven ways you can enhance your personal sense of agency? And here are my seven suggestions. You can post your comments on uh, below or you can post them on the Substack site, but here they are. Number one, reframe your brain. And that is to focus your actions and decisions you can um, on what you can control instead of focusing on external factors that you cannot control. Okay, and that's pretty common sense, but I call it reframe your brain. That's number one. Number two, and this gets back to what we were talking about with what Captain Chaby and I just did, that is to set clear goals. Number one, reframe your brain. Number two, set clear goals. Define specifically what you want to achieve. Write it down. Break it down into smaller, uh, smaller achievable tasks. And again, Find that identi- uh, um, accountability partner, set a judgment day, okay? Number three, own your actions. Let me say that again. Own your actions. I think this is a lot of what's missing in our world today, myself included. All of us, we don't want to own our actions. We want to blame somebody else. So this is huge. Acknowledge that you are in control of your actions and your decisions. Take responsibility for the outcomes of those actions and decisions. Now, there's a lot of things that may be out of our control, but a lot of the, our actions and decisions are within our control. And I think if you own your actions, it empowers you and it does increase your sense of agency. Okay. Now, three and four kind of go together. 
Four is to cultivate self-awareness. And that's to develop a, a, a deep understanding of your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Sometimes we are very, all of us, are very good at, <laughs> at trying to be judgmental of other people's feelings or behaviors, but we don't think about our own. So then if you start to work on your own, you can identify areas where you can make changes and take control of your life. Okay? So let's review the first four. Number one, reframe your brain. Number two, set clear goals. Number three, own your actions. Number four, cultivate self-awareness. And here are five. Here's number five. Try something new. So just step out of your comfort zone. This will help you potentially develop a new skill, which leads to confidence and increases your sense of agency. Number six, hugely important. Surround, excuse me, surround yourself with positive people. Seek out people who will support and encourage you and find people who believe in you and your ability to achieve your goals. And also, this is important, also be that person for somebody else. Be a positive cheerleader for somebody else. And the final one is nourish yourself, okay? Now, we're all maybe trying to do the best we can with our lives, but sometimes we forget to take care of our physical, mental, social, or spiritual well-being while we're trying to change the world. So if you if you focus on each and, and every one of these, and I'll just review these again. Number one, reframe your brain. Number two, set clear goals. Number three, own your actions. Number four, cultivate self-awareness. Number five, try something new. Number six, surround yourself with positive people. Number seven, nourish yourself. Okay. Um, I think each and every one of these is important. Um, if you, you may be doing one or two or three of these very well, give yourself credit for that, but also think about the ones that you may not be doing well and work on that. And here's, here's my analysis and the Vitality Explorer analysis and recommendation. Having a sense of personal agency and, and discipline are interconnected. And I think they require similar skills. So cultivating discipline, which we've talked about before, requires setting clear goals and developing a consistent routine. Discipline also requires having strong motivation and follow through. Discipline is a habit that takes time to develop and discipline demands patience and persistence. So it's very important if you're, if you're disciplined or you want to have a sense of agency that you don't give up when you encounter setbacks. So thoughts, just thoughts to consider. My thoughts, post your comments below. <laughs> um, number one, I think we all have at least some control over our life circumstances. Number two, we have some ability to affect the outcome of almost any situation, even if it's our reaction to that situation. So those two, control and affecting the out outcome, are the dictionary definition of agency. So if we respect our future selves, that's number three, we can enhance our our sense of agency. And if we also commit, this is number four, continue to work towards a better version of ourselves, I think we also improve that. Now, why is this important? Um, you know, I, I think people forget that agency is something that may actually be connected to our, 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 our subjective well-being. Now, there's actually a paper on that. So I always try to to identify a paper. This one was published in 2022, very recently. And here it is. At the title, Agency and Subjective Health from Early Adulthood to Midlife, Evidence from the Prospective Youth Development Study. Again, check out the Vitality Explorer Substack site, and I'll post all the, the links to that there. But I'm going to read a little bit from this. Drawing on 10 waves of prospective data following 741 adults over a 24-year period, uh, ages starting 21 to 45, this research provides convincing evidence that mastery is an 
uh, agenic, like agency, psychological resource that bolsters subjective health from young adulthood to midlife. During this lengthy period of the life course, mastery was found to have a significantly uh, important effect on subjective reported health. Uh, and that's even when, when controlling for things like unemployment, income, uh, obesity, and other serious health conditions. So I had to look up what they defined as mastery. Here's how they define mastery. Mastery was assessed using the Perlin Mastery Scale. Response, or respondents were asked to rate their agreement on a four-point scale and, and you know strongly agree to strongly disagree on seven items. And here's a few of them. Quote, I can do just about anything when I really set my mind to it. Uh, quote again, what happens to me in the future mostly depends on me. Number three is, I quote, I have little control over things that happen to me, etc. So they put all these seven together and they came up with a, a mastery point scale and this is mastery over yourself. And then they, they looked at that and they, this was what's called the youth development study. And they started it in 1988 with a thousand ninth grade students in St. Paul, Minnesota, and they were surveyed in schools and then they followed them over, over a long period of time. And they found those people who had a better sense of mastery or agency in their, in their lives, their subject of health was better. So again, I encourage you to check, check that out. I hope that first one was interesting. I, I am just fascinated by the concept of agency or our ability to affect our, our outcomes in our world and have you know, some sort of control over our circumstances as being connected to our overall vitality. Let's jump in, no pun intended, to number two, and that is, can we try to answer the question of should we take a polar plunge? Now, we have, we have talked about cold exposure uh, multiple times uh, in the past on Vitality Explorer News, but it's fascinating to me that polar plunges uh, are becoming more and more common. And this is like jumping into freezing water on purpose, um, and people are even setting, setting up fundraisers. Okay. There's one coming up here in the Bay area in Northern California. It's attached to a 5k and a 10k, um, race. And, and it's, it's done for, uh, the benefit of special Olympics in Northern California. And, uh, it has a very cute logo with a polar bear on there. So if you're in, in the San Francisco Bay area, I think that's coming up in early March. And I think it's actually done in a place which was very cool. It's called aquatic park. Uh, in, in San Francisco. But today's post is going to review a little bit of why cold water immersion is becoming more popular. And massive disclaimer here, do not initiate any cold exposure program with, without first discussing it with your physician. And this, this post is for informational purposes only. So interestingly, cold exposure has been utilized for centuries uh, to treat disease, enhance wellness, and in the athletic population, especially improve recovery from exercise. So the first references I could find to the use of cold were more than 5,000 years ago. And two very famous ancient physicians, Hippocrates and Galen, advocated for their use. And Hippocrates actually said this, quote, the water can cure everything. The water can cure everything. <laughs> Maybe not true, but interesting. If you look at the number of peer-reviewed published articles, scientific articles on this, there's, there's sort of a flat line until about the year 2000. And since 2000, it's been an exponential increase in the number of studies about um, cold exposure. And this is partially due 
to a guy named Wim Hof, W-I-M-H-O-F. He's an interesting Dutch guy who's been advocating for cold exposure for a long period of time. But many, many other celebrities, including Lady Gaga, Floyd Merriweather, the the boxer, um, were posting pictures of themselves on social media in a variety of different cold exposure environments. So that led me to think a little bit more about how can we take a step back and discuss this in a, in a coherent fashion. So cold exposure, it's also known as cryotherapy, comes in a variety of forms. And let's take a little deeper dive into this chilly but interesting topic, okay? So there's some graphics up on the Vitality Explorer uh, site and some references. But CWI stands for cold water ex- uh, immersion. WBC doesn't stand for whole, uh, white blood cells. It stands for whole body cryotherapy. And IA, I had to look this up. I'm like, what is IA? It just stands for ice application. So you can dunk yourself in cold water. And there's this idea of a whole body um, cryotherapy, which is sometimes put into a um, liquid nitrogen tank where your whole body's exposed. Uh, and then ice application. So there's, there's a fascinating series of things that can happen. Uh, obviously, people use ice. I recommend this all the time for people who have acute injuries. You know, a- apply ice and elevation, and that can decrease pain. It can reduce swelling. It obviously reduces the temperature. Okay, um, but there's there's interesting new ideas. We talked about this before in the context of cooling people who have acute severe cardiac events. Um, and then it also has changes in your blood flow. And the lay literature suggests that. Um, Cold exposure can do almost everything. And here's a quote from an article. Uh, can boost your immune system, treat depression, imp- enhance peripheral circulation, increase libido, burn calories, and reduce stress. So some of that may be true. And the scientific studies have found that, quote, regular cold exposure can be effective in the treatment of chronic autoimmune inflammation, reduce high cholesterol um, by a brown adipose tissue a- activation, and can have a positive effect on stress regulation. So that's actually legit, right? Cold exposure, when you, when you put yourself in the cold on purpose, and too often we want to stay between 68 and 73 or 74 degrees, right? Um, but when you get out in the cold, and, and when I'm recording this, this is February, so it's still cold in most of the Northern Hemisphere, your, your blood vessels undergo vasoconstriction, you could be shivering, but this triggers things. This has, this has legitimate physiologic effects. So something called cutaneous uh, vasoconstriction. So your, your skin um, blood vessels constrict. You can shiver, which creates thermogenesis. This actually increases your metabolic rate and helps you burn calories. But there's also non-shivering thermogenesis or creation of heat. And this is activation of something called brown adipose tissue. I encourage people to look that up a little bit more if they want to learn more about it. But there's also cardiopulmonary responses, something called cold shock, cold shock response and increased blood pressure. That's why it's very important not to do this unless you've you know, con- connected with your physician and you can tolerate it. But the blood vessel constriction makes sense because uh, it reduces the heat loss, right? You know, you don't want to lose heat, so your blood vessels around your skin contract. And here's a very interesting thing that happens, though. And this is a quote from a paper, and a few, few of the quotes here are these four main findings. Quote, after approximately five to ten minutes of cold exposure, the sympathetic responses cause blood vessels to vasodilate, a process called cold-induced vasodilation. That's really weird, right? So, you know, the response is related to a cold decrease of sympathetic, that's a nervous activity around 
the muscles that control your arteries. Okay. That's one very interesting finding. Number two is shivering. And this is a quote. Shivering is the process of continuous and asynchronous contraction of the skeletal muscles. This results in increased metal, um, muscle activity and is highly energy dependent and causes an elevated metal, metabolic rate. Very interesting. Number three here is quote, brown adipose tissue, also known as BAT, I love that, is capable of producing excess heat through the process of non-shivering thermogenesis. So we're born with some brown fat when we're, we're kids and newborns, and it, uh, its role in, in adults is still hotly debated, but I encourage people to look that up. And the final one is the cold re- shock response increases your respiratory rate, heart rate, blood pressure, and decreases a little bit of your brain blood flow perfusion. So this is all very fascinating. But cold water swimming, which is really fascinating to me, has been found to increase, or excuse me, enhance both your physical and um, uh, mental well-being, and specifically your memory. And here's a quote. One study found a, um, a reduction of tension, fatigue, and improvement in mood and memory in winter swimmers. The participants reported to be more energetic, active, and brisk compared to the control group. And all swimmers in the study who suffered from rheumatism, fibromyalgia, or asthma reported that winter swimming relieved pain. So I think cold exposure is, a, is very interesting. It can have negative or serious effects, so check it out. Um, I think the, the data supporting cold exposure is continuing to rise. I've been doing it for about four years now, and when I first started, I was a total uh, skeptic and a total wimp. could barely tolerate 20 seconds in a cold shower, and now I do a cold shower every day. Um, I get into a cold uh, body of water at least two to three times a week, uh, two to three times a week, which is somewhere between 38 and 45 degrees in the ambient temperature. I don't remember the exact temperature of the water. And in the summertime, I'll do an ice bath. So we'll talk more about this later. Um, my cold water exposure routine has made a massive difference for me. Um, uh, I think the data is very interesting to review, and I encourage people to look at some of the references on the uh, Vitality Explorer Substack site uh, for more details. So we're going to finish with something that I don't really want to talk about, but I found fascinating, and I would love for people to comment on this who are uh, more of a nutrition experts. But there was a report about dark chocolate containing heavy metals. And this was um, something that really disturbed me because I love dark chocolate and have long believed it to be a safe and healthy option as a treat. Um, And, you know, there's lots of resources that talk about dark chocolate improving blood flow, enhancing your mood, being a source of fiber and minerals. And then I became concerned, and this is why I want anybody who has anything that that they find interesting to send it to me, but uh, a a very, very vital friend of mine alerted me to a recently published Consumer Reports study. And the, and the study found high levels of lead and cadmium in popular brands of dark chocolate. And consuming either of these substances can, can lead to serious health issues because they're toxic heavy metals. Okay, Lead and cadmium are both toxic heavy metals. The study looked at 28 different brands of dark chocolate and found surprisingly high levels of cadmium and lead. So very, very interesting. Um, And here's a quote. So this is how they did it, uh, the the methodology. Quote, to determine the risk posed by chocolates in the consumer reports test, we used California's maximum allowable dose, M-A-D-L, for lead, which is 0.5 micrograms. And cadmium was 4.1 micrograms. And then showed the percentage of this in each ounce of chocolate. Okay, so here are the safest uh, choices according um, to uh, consumer reports. So, mast 
organic dark chocolate. Um, had only 14% lead and 40% cadmium. Uh, Taza chocolate, Ghirardelli, uh, Intense, uh, 86 and 72, both uh, um, got on the safer choices. And uh, a couple others are on there. There also were ones that were high in both lead and cadmium. And some of these were kind of surprising, including Trader Joe's and something called Green and Blacks. So I encourage you to look at the Vitality Explorer Substack site to see more of the details. Um, I think reducing, it was, it was fascinating to read about this. Again, this is not something I'm an expert in, but I'm just reporting this because I think it's important for us to review uh, things like this. Um, but I found that reducing or eliminating these metals in the production of chocolate was really difficult. And here's a couple quotes from the Consumer Reports article. Uh, you know, um, and cocoa plants take up cadmium from the soil with the metal accumulating in the beans as the tree grows. So that's really difficult, right? So for some reason, cadmium is something that um, cocoa plants uh, really like. And then it seems that the second one is lead seems to get into the production after the beans are harvested. Harvested. The researchers found that the metal was typically on the outer shell of the cocoa bean, not in the bean itself. Uh, and lead levels were low soon after the beans were picked and removed from the pods, but increased in the drying process in the sun. So here's our analysis and recommendation. I was staggered by this consumer reports um, study. I think we need to find out if this is you know, real and, and repeat this research. Um, but I think we can start by just trying to eat the safer choices. And again, if anybody has any expertise in this area, please message me or leave a comment below. I need to do more homework on this, but wanted to share the findings, which were just recently published. So this is, uh, again, you can look, look this up on Consumer Reports. You can see more of it on the Vitality Explorer News Substack site. And um, again, for review today, we talked a little bit about how to get things done. You can review the, the previous podcast that was put out just yesterday on the 40-Day Dare to Be Vital Challenge. We also talked about seven ways to become your own best agent uh, should you take a polar plunge. And just you know, obviously talked about dark chocolate maybe containing heavy metals. So I hope you enjoyed this edition, this episode of the Vitality Explorer News Substack site. Uh, I really enjoy doing this. I hope it is meaningful for you. If you like it, please share it with your friends, family, and coworkers. Please also leave us a five-star rating on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time, get out there and dare to be vital. Thank you for listening.